Breakout Conference 2018. He is passionate about developing leaders, community builder, and with great insight to teaching and preaching of the Word of God. When you give up in faith, when you give up in your hope, when you give up in your labor, you are blocking the manifestation of the work of God. The Bible says that this is how we please God. We please Him by our faith. No man can achieve or get anything from God until you please Him by sustaining your faith. He is a father to many, leader to leaders, and a loving father and husband. The resident bishop of Action Chapel International UK and Europe. Breakout Conference 2018. With a resounding round of applause and a standing ovation, shall we welcome our speaker, Bishop Dick DeSando. Hallelujah. Lift up your hands to the Lord. Say tonight, I receive. All grace, all abilities, all power. Say tonight is my night for impartation. See Almighty God, I open my heart and my life to receive all that you have for me tonight. In Jesus' name, say an amen. Before you are seated, I want you to acknowledge God and thank God for his gift to Bread of Life Ministry, a servant of God, a man with a true pastor's heart, with authenticity of spirit. I want you to appreciate your pastor and the lady of the house. Put your hands together and thank God. One of these days, God willing, I will come and teach you the mystery of the relevance of a servant of God in your midst. It's amazing. And yesterday when we were talking about helpers, I said one of the helpers we tend to overlook in the house of God is the servant of God. And I told you that Saul started as a donkey chaser. He met one man of God. He became a king. Put your hands together that God will use the servants of this house to take it to your next level oh you can do better than that give the lord a shout <laughs> it may be seasoned in god's presence i'm i'm all good i'm all ready for tonight and i have a a brewing excitement in my spirit and pastor your choir do you proud they do. Yeah. I've been doing this a long time. They do you proud. They do you proud. And uh, we thank God for their lives and uh, the spirit with which they minister. These are not singers. These are minstrels. These are people who have a heart for you and a heart for the ministry. And I pray that as God just continues to bring you into a wealthy place, the Lord will lift them into a new dimension. Can you give the Lord a shout in the house? Well, we thank God for what we have done so far. On, um, on the first day, we talked about, I laid down the principle that I believe that if you grasp, you see, this is a conference. See, this is a conference. 
See, there's a difference between a conference and a church service. A church service is a place you gather to dedicate worship and focus on God. But conferences are places of impartation, equipment, and empowering. It is a concentrated season in the life of the body of Christ where they focus their attention on a particular area that they are believing God to give them insights to anoint and to empower them so that they can be effective in that area. It will include church service dynamics. But understand that if you come to a conference and you come only with a church mentality, but you do not grasp, as it were, the, the, the principles, the things that are being taught and imparted, because conference time, you receive things that you will not receive in ordinary services. Are you hear what I'm saying? Every service is tailored for something. If you come down to my, my uh, branch, we have services on Sunday, Wednesday, and Friday. Each of these are different. Sunday is your usual traditional worship family service. Wednesday is teaching. Friday is focused on prayer. Everyone has its own dynamic. So when you come to conference, we thank God for the wonderful atmosphere of worship and all that. But then you have to say to yourself, what do I take out of this conference? Because it's a time of enabling and equipping that will give you an advantage over the area that God has put in the heart of the shepherd to minister to the house of God. Say an amen. amen. And so day one we talked about, we brought in the whole concept of understanding that to come into a wealthy place, not just individually, but corporately, as a church, it's not going to rest only on the head and shoulders of the pastor of the house. It's going to take helpers rising up. It's going to take authority figures and helpers coming together. It's going to take planters and waters working together for the increase to come so God can take you to a wealthy place. Yeah, amen. amen. And then yesterday we began to also look at Job, and in looking at Job, we began to understand and began to pray for the different levels of helpers that you need in your life. And even more important to me yesterday was not just that we prayed, but in breaking you up into prayer groups, I was trying to see that concept in your, in your spirit. The Bible said when Job prayed for his friends, then his captivity was turned around. So as you held hands with others, praying for them, I was believing God. That as you do this often, you do this regularly, you become a part of the praying life of the church. You stand with one another. You see each other as each other's brother's keeper. You see yourself not just as somebody who needs help, but you yourself are equipped and empowered to be a helper. It is that healthy mindset that brings you into a wealthy place. The Bible says, as a man thinketh, so is he. Say an amen. And I want you to leave this conference with a certain mindset that you are not just a victim a helpless victim you may be a person who needs help today and God will bring in the helpers but understand that even more important God has appointed you to be a helper and until you can begin to see yourself in that capacity you will limit your potential and greatness for future see an amen look at them and say you are a helper say I'm a helper Say, I'm equipped, anointed, enabled, and empowered to be a helper. Say, I am somebody else's solution. If you believe it, give the Lord a clap in the house. 
the church will grow when we win them from a dependent mentality. The church will grow when we come to a place when we recognize that we too are anointed. It's not just the man of God behind the pulpit. It's not just the bishop. But if you are in Christ and the Holy Spirit dwells in you, God enables God, equips God, empowers you to do some things. And the word that he gave that I give you authority, go out and preach the gospel, minister, heal the sick, raise the dead. It's not a monopoly for people who stand behind the pulpit. Every believer is supposed to be enabled to do this. Yeah, amen. amen. And understand this. This house will not increase. This house will not come into a wealthy place. This house will not be populated by new souls only by the activity of the head pastor. This house will be filled by souls. When every one of you see yourself as a helper and you go out winning the lost, everyone being, everyone being an evangelist, don't leave it to a small group. This is the evangelistic department. Everyone must see themselves as an evangelist. Everyone must understand that I have a gift and a contribution to make. Somebody has the power of sound. Somebody has an encouraging spirit. Somebody has diversity of gifts. There is multiplicity and plurality of gifts within the body of Christ. And as you exercise these, it draws people into the house of God. You have access to people that your pastor will never meet. There are people in your neighborhood, in your home, in your family, at your workplace that pastor will never meet. You are the conduit. You are the one that can bring them into the house of God. You are God's helper. Somebody give the Lord a shout in the house tonight. And the thing that I try to see is this. If the omnipotent, omniscient, if this God needed help to fulfill his will and his purpose, what makes us think that we can do this on our own? Now, it sounds a little, it sounds a little ironic that we say that God needed help. It's not so much that he needed. God was establishing something. The father could have said, let there be. But he decided to work with the son and the Holy Ghost. Are you hear what I'm saying? And even though Jesus is the head of the church with all power, all authority, given a name that is above every other name, Jesus has entrusted to you and I, the church, to fulfill God's agenda on earth. In other words, to help and to work as partners with the Lord for the fulfillment of the will of God in the earth realm. The church has an assignment. The church has something to do. And I believe that God will bring us into a wealthy place. And I told you, wealth is not just money. Wealth is an overflowing. It is when God does more than you can think of. It is prosperity and success in different areas of life. It, it includes us having influence in our communities, in our nation. It's having transformational mandate. It is saying that wherever we go, because we are dead, the place is wealthy. People are wealthy in their health, in their marriages, in their children. I mean, we just bring something into the dynamics of the fabric of society that makes our society a better place because somebody called a child of God has showed up upon the scene. Somebody give Jesus some glory in the house today. 
the Bible tells me in Psalm 22 verse 3 but thou art holy O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel I always like the psalm because when I reflect on the word inhabit it speaks a lot to me the word inhabit means to sit as a judge or to sit as one who has set an ambush you know when you set a trap and you sit away from the trap waiting for the trap to catch a prey that is called that is the hebrew word inhabit so the bible says when we praise god god inhabits in other words god sits like a man who has set an ambush to catch your enemy can you lift up your voice and just give god one praise in the house that he will set a trap and an ambushment the lord will trap your enemies tonight and bring you into a wealthy place did i hear hosanna in the house give the lord one more clap in the house today go with me if you will to the book of acts the 15th chapter as we prepare for what god has for us tonight acts the 15th chapter and verse number 16. the word said after this say after this it says after this i will return and will build again the tabernacle of david which is fallen down if you can see yourself as the tabernacle of god the dwelling place the habitation of god then i want you to receive this word tonight as a rima that god will return god will build you up and everything that is falling in your life shall be restored say an amen after this i will return and will build again the tabernacle of david which is falling down and i will build again the ruins thereof and i will set it up god is about to set somebody up i said god is about to set you up he's about to set you up in a wealthy place a prosperous place a successful place a satisfying place a place of contentment a place of fulfillment did i hear hosanna in the house tonight he said i will set it up and i say this to make you understand that it doesn't matter how far the church sometimes seems to have fallen into a pit the lord said i'll return i will build it up i will restore the ruined places and now this time i will set it up there are many things that we have set up and we set up by ourselves and when the setup is of man it doesn't last but when the setup is of god come wind come storm come fire come hail. it doesn't matter what comes against it the enemy can come huffing and puffing and trying to blow your door down god will keep you standing because he's determined that against all things you continue to stand give the lord a clap in the house tonight tonight i want to focus for a moment on a man called david the lord said i will build again the tabernacle of david Isaiah 55 verses 3 and 4 the bible says incline your ear and come unto me here say here yes. say it again yes. say it again yes. uh, say it again yes. give the devil a punch say amen yes. here yes. 
and your soul shall live. Uh, if your soul must live, your spirit must be open to hear the word of the Lord. When the enemy makes your hearing dull, he is desensitizing your soul. Incline your ear. Intention lift up your ear. Tonight may you lift up your ear to hear good news. May your ear hear a good report. May you hear that God is bringing you to a wealthy place. May you hear that you've been brought out of the mighty pit and out of every clay and mess and God is setting you up upon the high places. Did somebody shout Hosanna in the house tonight? Incline your ear and come unto me. Hear and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you even the sure mercies of David. Then it says, Behold, say behold. behold. It says, Behold, I have given him for a witness to the people, a leader and a commander to the people. Say amen. amen. God is drawing our attention to a man called David. And the Bible tells us that there are certain things that God wants us to He says, first of all, incline your ears and hear. He says, come to me. Here so you shall live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you as I did with David. And now he said, concerning this David, he said, behold. In other words, watch him. Observe him. He says, behold. Watch this. Keep your eye on this. He says, I have given him. I have given who? David. I have given him for a witness to the people. When the Lord gives you for a witness to the people, what God is saying is that when you look at David's life, David's life will testify something of me. And as we look at David's life, we will see how David moved from a certain low level in life to become a king who maintained his throne. God had to take him out of certain seasons of his life and pull him up and bring him to a wealthy place. Yeah, amen. amen. So the Bible says here, I have given him for a witness. The word witness also means a module. A prototype, a typology, an example, something to emulate. Are you hear what I'm saying? In other words, when you look at my my the the, hmm, the processing of my dealings with David, it must give you an idea. So it says, watch, look, listen, observe, watch David. In him, you will learn something about how I can bring you out of a mess and put you in a wealthy place. Yeah, amen. amen. And as we look at David, we'll recognize that David went through some very interesting seasons in his life. In 1 Samuel, chapter number 16, verse 13, we understand that David was first anointed to be king. He was empowered to do a particular task, and this happened in Bethlehem. Understand that we have all heard so many times that even though he was anointed to be a king, he didn't immediately rise up to a throne. We understand that after he had been anointed to be a king, he still went back to tend the sheep and the flock of his past, of his father's herd. What was God doing in that time? What God was doing is that the anointing that David had received as a king was beginning to work out some kind of an identity in him and that identity was being worked as he exercised himself in stewardship. You see, 
There is a place that God is going to call you to. It's called a wealthy place. But before you get there, you must learn to serve in mundane things. You must first become a servant at heart. You must understand how to humble yourself in spite of the titles you carry, the anointing you carry, the wealthy place God has brought you. You have to understand that the fact that God has anointed your head today, that you'll be a major prophet tomorrow, does not mean it's going to happen tomorrow. God is going to see how you handle the little things around you. Are you hear what I'm saying? Some of you are in that season. And it can be a frustrating season. It is a season when you know that God's hand is upon you and he's called you to do amazing things. And yet still you seem to be trifling with the petty things of life. It's frustrating. It can be depressing. It can be discouraging. But it is part of your process. And amen. amen. Let's look at First Samuel. Look at First Samuel chapter number 17. Verse 20 to 22. I want to share some things with you and then we go into praying for you say an amen. amen the bible says and david rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took and went as jesse had commanded him and he came to the trench as the host was going forth to fight and shouted for the battle for israel and the philistines had put the battle in array army against army and david left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren here is a man who has been anointed as a king when you have the anointing of a king within you when the dna of a king is within you you want to be where kings battle you want to be where hebrews make their name because in those days being a king wasn't a simple matter of just being made a king i mean you had to go to war and here is david itching to be a part of this move of God. Eating to be on the forefront of the battlefront. To see what was happening. But at the same time. In spite of the anointing on David's life. David had a sense of responsibility. You see. When David was leaving the flock. The Bible said he didn't just walk away. But he left the sheep with a keeper. I'm, coming some, I'm, I'm going somewhere with you. He left the sheep with a keeper. The Bible said when he got there. He had a carriage that is a bag in his hand and he gave the bag to the keeper of the carriage listen to me if god is going to bring the church into a wealthy place then i want to speak to you this more even and tell you this wherever god has planted you to serve no matter how mundane number one be faithful there amen. you will not be there forever amen. say an amen. amen i was I was going over some stuff this morning and I realized that I have been in my particular branch for 26 years. And I have had the wonderful privilege of pastoring that branch for 19 years. But you see, what even amazed myself is that I didn't start working in the house of God in the 19 years. All 26 years. From the very, after the very first week. When I joined the church, I enrolled in a department. So for 26 years, I've been laboring in the house of God. Now, the point I'm trying to make is this. Somewhere along that line, I had the witness. I had prophetic confirmations about what God would do with my life that sounded awesome for the future. I still didn't have a problem with the mundane things in 
house of God. I still say, anything that was required of me, I did. If I had to iron my pastor's suit, I did it. Whatever I had to do, I did it because I knew that God was using those seasons to form something within me. So that by the time you arrive where you have to arrive, you are not moved by anything. I tell people that it is a wonderful privilege and an honor to be entrusted with the stewardship of the title of a bishop. But the truth of the matter is that bishop is not my identity. Are you hear what I'm saying? It's not being a bishop that makes me anything. Bishop simply describes my functionality within the body of Christ. My identity was edged. The identity of a servant servant was edged when I learned to do the little, little things in the house of the Lord. Oh, somebody give the Lord a clap in the house. I'm showing you the way to a wealthy place. Because listen to me, the easiest track to take is to come here, take anointing oil and kill every demon and bind every witch that's operating. That is easy. But we've done that all that time. Let us, the Bible says, I have given David as a model, as a witness to you. Observe him. Understand how he moved from the back place of looking after sheep, not even his sheep. He didn't even own the ranch. He was just a little shepherd boy to becoming king over Israel. Are you hear what I'm saying? Now, watch this now. The thing about stewardship is this. If you must move into a wealthy place, you've got to ask yourself the question. Before you go to the next level, what have you done with what God entrusted into you? You see, when David was sent to the battlefield, he didn't just walk away and leave the sheep to walk around. The Bible said he entrusted the sheep to a keeper. Say a keeper. Say succession planning. That means that, listen, you will not really get your next level until you have groomed somebody else to take the place of your previous level. You are not ready to move into the next wealthy place until see God doesn't believe in vacuum. God doesn't like emptiness and void. When he saw that the earth was void and vacuum and darkness covered the face, Elohim lifted up his voice and said, Let there be, and there was. So God doesn't like vacuum. Jesus told us the parable of if you kick out the strong man, don't leave the house empty. Because vacancy becomes the breeding ground for demonic activity. So when God has entrusted you with the work, a department, until you have groomed somebody, until you have prepared somebody to occupy where you are, you are not left ready for the next promotion level. If you must go to the next level, begin to groom somebody, begin to prepare somebody, begin to empower somebody. When God sees that you have somebody you have trained and equipped, then God is ready to move you to the next level. Oh, somebody give the Lord a shout in the house tonight. He entrusted the sheep to a keeper. Number two, the Bible said the carriage is the carriage. The carriage is the bag, a little satchel that you carry that has your stuff in it. The Bible said when he got to the battlefield, he entrusted the bag that carried his goods into the hand of the keeper of the carriage. I want to ask you something. What are you carrying? If we anoint you today, what are you carrying? And when we release that anointing upon you, in order to move to the next level, who are you going to pass that to? You see, you are carrying something. 
There is a gift in you. There's a grace in you. There's an ability to you. But to move to the next level, you yourself have to learn how to impart that gift and trust that courage, that thing you are carrying, whatever you have in your hand, and trust it to the next person so God can move it to another level. <laughs> are you with me? Everybody wants to come to a wealthy place. Everybody wants to live where they are right now and enter a new level but understand that God doesn't just promote for the sake of promoting because it will be detrimental to the work of God for him to promote you and live where you are vacant God must know that whatever is in your hand whatever you are carrying in your carriage you have first imparted to somebody else I remember back in the day you know the first department I joined the first department I joined in the, in the church, I was the duplicator. So, so the real experts will record. They had an idea of the technical things. Then they give the master to me, and I simply duplicate and sell. That was my first job. And I started doing that. Then move on from there, and I became, I joined the uh, foundation classes, teaching new converts. And the process of teaching new converts, I trained others to handle that. Then I moved on, became head of counseling. Then I became head of what they call the mighty men. Then I became a trustee of the church. And in between all that, we did all manner of things as occasion demanded. But you know one thing I kept consistent? I was always training somebody behind me. Hallelujah. I didn't know that the roots that God would take me would one day lead me on the path where I'm a trainer of leaders and a trainer of pastors. Are you hear what I'm telling you? To recognize that you carry something and so Lord before I move to my next level I need to entrust this thing to somebody else so that you see here's the principle the more you give the more you get the more you give out the more you get in so as long as you're just holding on to your courage and not passing it on you remain where you are See, this is one of the frustrating things I, I can speak this way because mo the, the, most of us come from the same ethnic origin. But if you check our ethnicity, if you look at the countries we come from, if you look at our culture, when somebody occupies a position, ah, it's for life. I'm not training anybody to occupy, take my post from me tomorrow. Oh, no. Oh, no. If, if you try to come up, they'll pull you down. And they'll remain there and let the whole country suffer and the countries never come to a wealthy place african countries with all our resources are not entering a wealthy place because of this mentality we don't want to pass things on to the next generation are you hear what i'm saying this is the attitude that we must kill in the church if the church must go to a wealthy place recognize what you have appreciate god for what you have serve faithfully where you are now with the mind that god has anointed you for a better place give the lord a clap in the house today look at them and say you are carrying something and so david's first test was what he would do with the little that was in his hand how will you handle somebody else's sheep the bible says, if you are faithful in another man's business then God will give you your home. Many people in the church want to come to a wealthy place in their business. The question is how faithful are you in somebody else's business? How faithful are you in the house of God? 
And yet you want your business to prosper. You want to come to a wealthy place. Oh, you can do it by your skills and your talents and everything. But the day trouble comes, the same house you neglected is where you'll be coming for deliverance and prayer meeting, administration and anointing. Are you hear what I'm saying? Learn to qualify for the next level of a wealthy place by being faithful in somebody else's business. Can you give the Lord a clap for free? That was a Bethlehem season for David. And it is a place where a lot of people, I have seen people who just because they received a prophecy backed up by a dream and somebody came and confirmed it already in their mind they have arrived they have arrived I am too important to be asked to do this that and the other Bishop don't, don't you Bishop, you don't believe in my anointing and you laugh because you, they don't understand that simply having oil on your head and hands please doesn't catapult you to a wealthy place. You have to be faithful in it. And God uses that to shape you. You see, those who use shortcuts because of an anointing upon their life, when they get to a certain place, grace will get you to a place where character cannot sustain you. So getting there is easy. But sustaining it is a whole different ballgame. So the focus is not about, it's not about, I have arrived. The focus of what is the process God is taking me through. If I'm faithful in the little things, if I'm faithful in the house of God, if I'm imparting and raising others and treating, it grieves my heart sometimes when somebody can be a church leader, a church worker. You know that you're about to relocate. You're about to leave Bristol to go to Manchester. You knew it. You've known this thing for months. And yet it never occurs to you to train somebody, empower somebody, even notify your pastor. You just root out yourself and go and lead the church to itself. And you wonder why you go and things are not moving the way it ought to move. Are you hear what I'm saying? And you need to ask yourself, was it a good thing that I moved to Manchester? Nothing wrong with Manchester. It's the way you left. Are you hear what I'm saying? Live well. Get a blessing. Leave a good testimony. Let someone look up to you tomorrow and your blessings will follow you in your new assignment. Oh, give somebody, give the Lord a clap in the house tonight. That was the first test of David. The second test of David was in a place called Gibeah. An interesting testing time for David. Gibeah was an amazing time. Gibeah was a time of amazing breakthroughs and victory for David. It was in Gibeah that he killed Goliath. It was in Gibeah and around that time that the, the, the king gave his daughter to him to marry. It was at that time also that people were singing. Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his ten thousands. Listen to me. The road to a wealthy place is very tricky. Because sometimes you can taste a little success here and there and it can get into your head and to paralyze your ability to move forward. When people begin to sing your praises, when it looks like things are working out in your life, when you are honored to marry the king's daughter, when you are told to move into the house of the king and move into the royal palace and praises are lavished on you, the question is, Will your praises, will the praises make you proud? 
Will it make you, you rebellious? Will it make you feel that you are better than somebody else? Will it make you reject instruction? How does praises that people put on you either advance or retard you from getting to the wealthy place? David was a man that was tested. The Bible says, look at David. I've given him as a model, as a witness. Observe him. Number one, in his Bethlehem seed, anointed but still dominion task, was faithful and trusted was a responsible servant. Then he comes to his Gibeah seat, where everybody's praising David. Great things, mighty things. And yet, David still remains humble in the presence of the Lord. When he passed the test of praise, listen to me, oftentimes, watch this, the test of praise, your Gibeah season is almost always followed by your Adulam season. <laughs> the same people who sang praises to David, that David has killed his, thousand, his ten thousands and Saul has killed his, ten, his thousand were the same people who stood by probably supported Saul when he was pursuing David in the Adullam caves there are different, I'm trying to say that there are different seasons and you may feel right now I'm in a pit but what you call a pit may be God's training and preparation ground for you is testing you. How will you handle your Adulam time? Adulam time was a time of adversity. Where in spite of the anointing upon his life, David had become like a vagabond. Pursued. Like a bandit. Chased through the countryside. Hiding in caves and, and his life was just forfeit. His life was, was, was at the mercy of anybody who would find him. It was a difficult time in the life of David. But guess what? Through all that adversity, David still maintained his walk with God. Don't give up on God because you're going to an Adulam season. It is part of the seasons of a Christian life. One day everything will be going well for you. Breakthroughs are coming. You're enjoying the goodness of the Lord. You're winning spiritual warfare battles. You're a champion in the eyes of people. The next thing you know, it's like the fruitful garden has become a wilderness. But it will remain a wilderness forever. Are you hear what I'm saying? A wilderness is just a passing through point. It's something you are just going through. Don't develop, don't cultivate the mind that this is where you remain forever. David didn't stay in Adulam forever. And David didn't shortcut his Adulam journey by killing Saul when he had the opportunity to do it. David allowed the process of God to take him through his wilderness process. So that by the time he came out, he was seasoned as a man of God. Oh, somebody give the Lord a clap in the house tonight. Adversity comes to toughen you. Adversity builds strength in you. Difficult seasons are sometimes allowed by God. But God knows that there is a time appointed when your Adulam season will come to an end. Amen. A time will come. It is God that will determine and the devil cannot assault you one second longer, one minute longer, one hour longer, one day longer, one month longer, one year longer beyond what God has determined for your life. That is why once you are in that season, the enemy is taking all advantage and liberties to hit you and to hit you hard. But you remember what I told you yesterday? One of the helpers you must pray to come into your life are common enemies. 
necessary enemies enemies whose activity propel you to success without them you won't get to where you are going without them you won't become the strong man you are today they are necessary enemies they are key to your fulfilling of your destiny i told you about judas jesus says that's what you have to do go and do quickly peter i pray for you judas go and do quickly why didn't jesus pray for judas because the same satan that sought to sift peter as wheat was the same Satan that entered Judah. And yet to Peter said, I'll pray for you. Your faith will not fail. He said, but you Judas, you are a necessary enemy. You are key to the fulfilling of God's purposes of my life. So the thing you have to do, go and do it quickly. I am depending on your enemy device and activity. It is necessary for me to get to the cross and fulfill my destiny. Sometimes where you are is a necessary place. The enemy schemed to put you there, like Joseph's brothers. They schemed and they put him in a pit. The Lord said, Joseph, 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 you don't understand. It is not men who brought you here, but it was I who orchestrated your kidnapping, your capture to bring you here to preserve a posterity. Oh, somebody give the Lord a shout in the house tonight. There are some enemies that are necessary. Have you ever sat down to think, Pastor? Why would Jesus tell us, pray for your enemies? Pray for your enemies. No. Oh, no, no, no. Jesus, you see, Jesus, maybe Jesus wasn't charismatic. Maybe Jesus was not Pentecostal. Because charismatic and Pentecostal Christians, we don't believe in praying for enemies. We kill our enemies. We bind them. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We place embargoes upon them. We activate divine sanctions. We put restrictions. We put gagging orders upon them. We silence them and mute them. We paralyze them in the spirit. We decommission their weapons. We decapitate them. We set confusion in their midst. Oh, am I talking to some charismatics in the house? <laughs> then, 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 then Jesus comes and, and, and messes and says, pray for me. This is what I'm talking about. What are you saying? Jesus, what are you talking about? Now I understand why the offenses must come. Because those offenses will build you up. Those offenses will make you strong. It's preparing you to have what it takes, not only to come into a wealthy place, but when you get there, you know how to keep it. You see, listen, when you are not in a wealthy, wealthy place, there isn't much to lose. Are you with me? There isn't much to lose. Then we can come against them. There isn't really much to lose. But when they come to a wealthy place, there's a whole lot to lose. So before you get there, God must teach you in your lonely place how to handle the enemy, which is, by the way, the same enemy who will come after you in your wealthy place. So if you haven't learned, God hasn't taught your fingers to fight and your hands to war in your lonely place. When you come to your wealthy place, you become vulnerable. The enemy can take everything that you have labored for in life. So sometimes, the pit is a place of divine development. Even though it was a satanic setup. Oh, somebody give the Lord a clap. Adulam seasons are necessary. And listen to me. Adulam, you see, this is the thing that even blesses me. Adulam wasn't just for David. 
David grew. David matured. David developed character in Adulam. But what's this now? It wasn't just David. David had helpers. They called them the mighty men. The mighty men were bandits. Lawless people. Rebellious people. They didn't submit to authority. Respected nobody. In that Adulam season, they were also trained. In your Adulam season, God is not only training you, but he's training your future helpers as well. It was these future helpers who were being trained with David. Pastor, listen, you know one thing I've learned? When the church is going through crisis, hold your peace. In the midst of it all, whilst God is training you through the season, God is also training some faithful, mighty men and women. And the Bible says a time came when the sons of Goliath came against David and they nearly took him out. Thank God that there were trained mighty men behind David. And they were the ones who delivered David. May God raise people in this house through their own accident, afternoon season, to be able to preserve you so you can also do what you have to do for them. Somebody give the Lord a shout in the house. The mighty men were trained. They were equipped. They became a disciplined team. Three of them were more dangerous than the whole army. They became like supreme commandos. These were like special forces. SAS. One man alone could enter a pit with a lion and overcome the lion in snow. That is what Adulam season does for you. It trains you. It prepares you. When you have been through the worst in this season of your life, when you get to a certain place, what challenge is new to you? Nothing. Let the enemy come and say, this one, I've seen it before. <laughs> I have been there, done it. I have fought this beast before. I know how to handle you. Are you hear what I'm saying? May God bring something good out of your Adulam season right now. Give the Lord a clap in the house. Thank God he doesn't just keep you in an Adulam season. After the Adulam season, the Lord then brings David to what I call a Hebronic season. The Hebronic season I'm referring to here is this. It was in Hebron. Say Hebron. Hebron. Say it again. Hebron. In Hebron, David was tested in another season. In Hebron, David was anointed king over Judah. Most Christians would have lost it. You know why? There are 12 tribes in Israel. The prophetic word of my life. I become king over Israel. Twelve tribes, not one. Hebronic seasons represent partial breakthroughs in your life. When you've received small, but the whole thing hasn't come. And I have seen Christians who have become very discontent and disgruntled because they were believing God for all twelve tribes and God has just given them one for now and they are absent. What will you do in that season of your life when God hasn't given you the full package and after all your fasting and praying after going through all this Adulam season after all that hard times when the time has come for you to be anointed as king they say king over just one tribe most people at that point would say you know something it wasn't worth it most will be angry you'll be discontent you'll be unhappy you'll turn against God but you see, that is also another testing season in your life. Yes. How will you handle the anointing 
How would you handle life situation if God decides that he will not give it to you all at once? He said to his children, as he came out of Egypt, he came out of Egypt, he said, the whole land, I've given it to you. However, I won't give it to you in one go. I will give it to you little by little, little by little. Christians don't like little by little. Christians won't give it to me and give it to me all now. If I don't get all my breakthrough in one uh, breakthrough conference, that is it. And I'm not even talking about someone who's come the whole week of the breakthrough conference. You came to one, one session. And in that one session, God must do everything for you. Otherwise, uh, no, next year I'm not going. I'm not even going to church anymore. We went to the conference. What? Put a little oil on my head and give me that. Is that it? Is that all? It's a testing time. Yes. It's the Hebronic season. It's God's seen whether you know. You see, the Bible says godliness is what? Contentment is what? Great gain. Great gain for me is synonymous with wealthy place. Are you hear what I'm saying? Godliness with contentment. A discontented Christian never comes to a wealthy place. A discontented Christian will never come into that place of great gain. Because you are not satisfied with what God is doing. And the reason God gave uh, David Judah first is that to be a king over 12 nations is not easy. Let me give you one. Practice the art and understand the governance of kingship over one. If you can handle one and you develop the art and the skills, the 11 will come to you. Yes. Are you hear what I'm saying? God may have given you a little for now because you don't yet have what it takes to handle all. Oh, somebody. Yes. And until we override the spirit of discontent, we'll never enter a wealthy place. Learn to be satisfied. With the little God gives you. And when you are content, listen, what God has given you, your small, your one Judah, is somebody's whole 12 tribes. Yeah. To you, it's just Judah. To somebody, this Judah is like I've got the whole 12 tribes. If we must get into a wealthy place, overrule the spirit of discontent, be satisfied in God. And you hear what I'm saying? Be satisfied. Find fulfillment. God, whether God gives you much or he gives you little, praise God anyway. Praise God. Praise God. It's one thing I have learned even in ministry. I have learned, I, I, don't, I don't like to be greedy in ministry. If you bless me with one pound, praise God, you know my mindset, this is one pound I didn't have yesterday. That's all. It's as simple as that. Because watch this, watch this. The one pound you are giving me, to me, is not the measure of my wealth. Yes. I know what I carry. I know my grace. It's not what you are giving me that determines how anointed I am. Jesus. Are you hear what I'm saying? Yes. But each one is given according to their capacity. Yes. So if you give me one pound, oh, this is one pound I didn't have yesterday. What am I complaining about? If you give me a hundred thousand, praise God. If you give me a, a million, oh, wonderful. By the end of the day, I am not going to be discontent 
because you couldn't give me what I felt I must receive. Hey, don't you know I'm a bishop? When others are putting reverend before their knees, they put RT, full stop, red, right reverend. It's beggar. <laughs> are you hear what I'm saying? Learn to be content. Free yourself up. Don't get so uptight in life. Thank God even for the opportunity to exercise your gift. Whether they honor you for it or not, they have given you a platform to speak and exercise your gift. Oh, somebody give the Lord a shout in the house. You know, about, uh, about uh, a few weeks ago, I went to preach somewhere. I won't say where. I went to preach somewhere. But because of my connect, you know, they didn't give me any offering, any honorarium, which was okay. It didn't bother me one little bit because of relationship, because I knew I was connected to the place. And you know something? As I walked away, meanwhile, that same Sunday, I was supposed to preach somewhere else. And when I go to that somewhere else, I know they do me good. But when they told me to come and preach here, I felt duty bound and obliged to do it. I didn't get a penny from here. But you know what I got? 80,000 people were watching me on live streaming that day. That kind of exposure is bigger than what the other person would have given me. It's not about money. It's about allowing God to give you a spirit of contentment and exposure. Promotion does not come from man. It comes from all. Somebody give the Lord a shout in the house. Are you hear what I'm telling you? Learn to be content. One of the things the enemy will use against you to block your ability to go to the next level is the spirit of discontent. Discontent. I think I've said this story before. The first car I ever owned in life. I was Brother Richard, very on fire for God. And I equated my fire for humility. And I mean, you know, there was an understanding of humility that we didn't understand that God is a mind blowing God. So I remember going to God and I had caught the revelation about being specific in prayer. Specific. Paul says, I do not just shoot and fire and hope I'll hit something. His prayers are targeted. So when I caught that ready, I went into prayer and I told God specifically what I was looking for. A small blue car. God, I'm not greedy. I'm not covetous. I'm not looking for anything big. Just a small blue car. About two weeks later, a friend of mine came by me and he said that uh, he, was, he, he was just driving past and he saw another vehicle. There's not, there was nothing wrong with his car, but he just felt that he must get rid of his car and then go and buy that other one. So I said, oh, I'm even looking for a car to buy. He said, okay, why don't you have my car? I said, I'm not ready now. He said, don't worry, you take the car. And then in about two or three weeks time, which by then I'll be ready, then you can sort me out and I will go and buy this car I have seen. So I thought, okay, I 
That sounds very good. And guess what I got? A small blue car. I will never forget that car. You know, it was a Renault. It was one of those Renaults where the gearbox is in there. You know what you pull and you turn and you... Oh, I loved it. Small blue car. When my money was ready, I called the child. I said, the money's ready, come and collect it. He said, what? He said, come, I said, come and collect it. He said, no, 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 the daughter should just give it. No charge. That was my first car for free. As I prayed it, God gave it to me. Now listen to the point I'm trying to make. When I realized, hey, <laughs> this specific, I said, my goodness, I should have prayed for some mecca. <laughs> If I knew God was going to give me this thing for free, I should have prayed for some mega car. I quickly arrested my carnal mind. I said, Father, thank you. I'm content with what you have. You have proved yourself to me, and it's good enough. Give the Lord a clap in the house. Be content. Oh, Lord. I want to marry a man of wealth. A man of great influence. And the Lord tells you, see that one? That's your husband. And when you check the guy out, this guy is far from your dreams. Then you will come to pastor and say, Pastor, I need for you to agree with me on Psalm 66. God should take me out of this married place and bring me to a wealthy man. Father, have mercy on you. Let me call Bishop to come and do a conference. <laughs> yes, for you. Put your hands together for Pastor. <laughs> and Bishop will tell you, Sister, what is the Lord saying? Bishop, don't go there. But what the Lord is saying? Right now, me and God, we are not in agreement. There's serious malice in us. And knowing God, God will bypass you and give somebody a dream who come and confirm it. A prophet will come and confirm it. And you are looking at this man and how? But listen to me, it's your Hebronic test. Because when you learn to be satisfied, you don't know how God is going to move that person from where they are to another place. But let me put it even in a better way. God may not necessarily give you a wealthy husband. But that man with the little he has will give you peace. Will show you love. Will make you happy. That that rich guy you were looking to who will take you for granted and feel like he's done you a favor by marrying you. Oh somebody give the Lord a shout in the house today. Be content. Be content. And after your Hebrew, your Hebron season, then David entered his Jerusalem season. The Jerusalem time of David's life was when David was anointed to be king not only of Judah, but of all Israel. David has finally arrived. But listen to me, you have to be careful of the I have arrived mentality. Because sometimes when you think you've come to a wealthy place, God hasn't even begun. 
What you think you've arrived at as wealthy? God says, oh, this is just the first step. If you know the other wealthy levels ahead of you, you will not have a resigned arrived mentality. God does things for people in the house of God. And because of some breakthrough, they feel we have arrived. Their passion for God dies. Their expectation for God is capped. All I wanted was a house and my immigration status. I've got it. I've arrived. Now I can walk around and drive free. If a policeman stops and says, I'll ask you, do you have a problem? <laughs> now we have an attitude. <laughs> Are you hear what I'm saying? I've arrived. And yet, that is the beginning yes. of what God wants to do in your life. Yes. That status is giving you is the beginning of greater things. That's what you stay in church. That's what you become a helper. That's when you serve God. Because where you think is a wealthy place, to God is just nothing. He's now taking you into a better place. Oh, somebody give the Lord some glory in the house today. Don't be trapped with the arrived mentality. Let, let me say this in a way that, you know, most times when I go to conference, I speak in favor of women. Once in a while. And, uh, you know, sometimes you spend so much time praying for your husband. And whilst you are waiting for it to manifest, oh my God, you're at the salon every week, your nails are done, your hair is being done. If you don't have enough, you, you'll top up. You do. You do everything you have to do. The moment you marry, I've arrived. I don't want your husband to look at you thinking, what happened to you? You have changed. You don't even make an effort anymore. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Listen, when then your marriage is not going to a wealthy place, sometimes you have to check yourself. I said, no, 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 no. Simply marrying is not enough. I must work on the marriage for the marriage to become richer, richer, richer every year, every year. I got my breakthrough. I've got me a husband. That's it. It doesn't really matter. You know, before at night, before you go to sleep, brush your teeth. Great anticipation. Now, when you wake up in the morning, it's like vampire. It's like Dracula is up. Am I telling the truth? have a right mentality is a dangerous mentality it's a dangerous mentality God the Bible says he does what exceedingly abundantly there is this far above all that you can even think or imagine so when you imagine you've arrived at your wealthy place God is like are you kidding <laughs> we are now starting I'm not going to take you to an exceeding, abundant, far above all you could have thought or imagined. Now, if you have my kind of imagination, and God is going to exceed my imagination the way he intends to do it, then my expectation of God must be mega. Mega. Because anything I can think about, 
God says, I'm going to do exceedingly abundantly far above. That's what you call the wealthy place. When now you don't set the standard, it's God who sets the standard. When you don't set the bar, it's God who raises the bar. When you come to him and say, God, I, I don't even know where to pitch it anymore. You take it as high as you want because I know you are the one who caused me to leap over the wall. Oh, somebody give the Lord a shout in the house tonight. Are you learning something? Say, this is conference. We got to understand that our expectation of God can never be limited by our expectation. We can never settle and say just because if God blesses this house and you have a thousand members, two thousand members, don't give up. Keep doing the same thing over and over again until God brings increase, until he brings fruitfulness, until he brings multiplication, until he replenishes and you continue to grow and grow and grow. Somebody give the Lord a shout in the house tonight. God has taken you from what 300 to a thousand. We're a mega church. Are you kidding? People are filling stadiums and still continue. Let your expectation of God be bigger. Don't put a ceiling on God, don't set a limit of God. He said, As far as the heavens are. So far, is God's wisdom, God's imagination, God's thought concerning you. When God looks at where you are thinking and what he has in me, he says, I know the thoughts that I think concerning you and they are thoughts of good. And when God says it is good, brother, it is really good. It's good. It's good. Take the limits of your life. Stop the grasshopper mentality you will never get into a wealthy place with a grasshopper mentality if in your own eyes you are a grasshopper you will never attain greatness church if you see your church as we are just a small church trust me if that is your mentality you will never get anywhere but when you begin to see beyond you know an attitude i have to be honest, by the grace of God, we have preached to crowds of thousands. And we have preached to small groups. But you know something? The quality and the content and the depth of my message is not determined by the size of the crowd. Whether there are a hundred people or five thousand people, I deliver people, I bring depths. Because once you are thinking hundred people, I have a mentality that I'm standing on a platform speaking. My voice must carry. It must reach because one or two people taking that message and passing it on and bearing it and duplicating it, it will amaze you how far that message will go. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Don't cultivate a small mind mentality and expect to come to a wealthy place. Think big. Because I say think big. They think mega. They expand your thinking. They stop being a grasshopper. If you see yourself as a grasshopper, I will treat you like a grasshopper. Give the Lord a clap in the house. All right, let's wrap up. Go with me quickly to 1 Samuel 16. 1 Samuel 16. Are you being blessed? 1 Samuel 16. I like to read certain verses. We'll read verse 13. We'll read verse 18 and 19. 
and we'll read verse 22, right? 13, 16, 13, 18 to 19, and 22. And there's something in there that I want us to use as a point of reference and a point of contact as we pray over you and trust God to anoint and empower you tonight. Say an amen. amen. We're still looking at David, at David as a model according to the word of the Lord. I have given him as a witness. The life of David speaks something. The life of David testifies not only to God bringing him to a wealthy place, but the processes or some of the processes he had to go through to get to that place. I brought about five seasons of David's life from Bethlehem to Jerusalem and the various seasons in between. Time will not permit me to enlarge and expand and go into great exposition about each of them because each of those are a sermon in themselves. But understand this. Understand that God doesn't just lift you up and put you up there. God will always prepare you. And sometimes the training ground of God can be tough. It can be difficult. But you see, it is a necessary training. And if you can only succumb and do what God wants you to do, you will find that finally, not only will you get to where God intends to get you, but when you get there, you'll be able to have dominion. Yeah. 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 Now, in 1 Samuel chapter number 16, verse 13 says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, that is David, in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. From that day what? Forward. Samuel arose and went to Ramah. The Spirit of the Lord came upon David not just for the day. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon you not just for the conference. The anointing comes upon you not just for the specific service. The Spirit came upon him from that day forward. The Bible said, for the anointing that you have received, it shall be in you and abide in you and remain in you forever. Yes. Amen. Are you hear what I'm saying? You must come to a place where you have to understand that if God has anointed you and God's Spirit is in you, you must have the confidence that that Spirit remains in you from that day forward. That means everything that lies ahead of you, good, bad, or ugly, the Spirit of the Lord is still in you to enable you to see you through that process. Amen. Your amen is anemic. Amen. So, the first thing we have to understand is that Samuel anoints David. And the testimony of God's word was that the anointing was upon David from that day forward. Was David perfect from that day forward? No. He had his issue with Bathsheba. He set up Ruah for murder. And I'm sure there were other things that God had been quiet about. David was by no means a perfect man. But the spirit upon him, of God was upon him from that day forward. So much so. And you know what kept the spirit upon him from that day forward? The Bible said David was a man after God's own. When you cultivate a heart for God, and your desire is to fulfill God's heart, the spirit will remain upon you from that day forward. Give the Lord a clap in the hour. Now watch this. Verse 16, sorry, verse 18 to 19 and 22. One of the seven said, look, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, 
prudent in speech and a handsome person and the Lord is with him Saul sent to Jesse saying please let David stand before me for he has found favor in my sight say an amen, amen. say it one more time amen. I want to share with you very quickly something we are going to believe God for as an impartation the Bible says the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward when that spirit came upon David there were six or seven manifestations of that spirit upon the life of David and I believe that these are all necessary in order for God to bring you from where you are to a wealthy place yeah, amen. amen very quickly the first manifestation the Bible says that he was skillful say he was skillful he was skillful in playing skillful in playing church if you must come to a wealthy place understand the inference of this word the Bible said David was what skillful in praying in playing what happened when David played a harp the presence of God came and the spirit of oppression and depression on Saul was driven away are you hear what I'm saying listen to me if God must bring you into a wealthy place you have to master the skill of invoking the presence of God. If you must get to a wealthy place, know how to bring the presence of God. Because you see, when the presence of God comes, the tormenting spirit must leave. Yes. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus walks into a place, he steps off on a boat, walks into a place. He doesn't call anybody, he doesn't do anything. It was the man with the legion of demons who approached him. He said, well, what have you got? Why have you come here at this time? And now the demons in him tried to negotiate their exit strategy. Because the presence of God has showed up on the coast of Gadara. If you must go into a wealthy place, cultivate. Be skillful. Learn the art of bringing the presence of God into your life. And into your environment. Cultivate the presence of God in your home, in your family, in your marriage in your relationships upon your children it is key to move into a wealthy place the Bible says light has come darkness cannot comprehend it so the first manifestation is the manifestation of God's presence in your life then the Bible says he was skillful in playing that means that whatever instrument whatever gift David had he mastered the gift have you mastered the gifts the Holy Spirit has given you? Have you mastered the gift of the world of knowledge? Have you mastered the gift of prophecy? A lot of people's lives have been messed up by all kinds of prophetic utterances. Not because people don't have the spirit of prophecy, but they haven't mastered and matured and know how to use it wisely. Some have abused the gift. It's of using skill to know how. There are some things God will tell you you don't necessarily have to go and tell the person. Because the person is not the level to handle it. God told you so you enter your intercessory closet and pray for the person. Are you hearing what I'm saying? When, when Jesus, going back to Jesus and Peter, when Jesus met Peter, Jesus knew that Peter didn't, wasn't heavyweight yet. He says, Satan has sought to see like wheat imagine this is what happens typically in a lot of our gatherings 
The person with the gift comes and listen, the enemy is trying to kill you. Looking to sift you like wheat. I saw your coffin. I've seen your tombstone. You are finished. But you see, watch this now. Before Jesus would tell Satan and Peter that Satan has sought to sit you like me, he said, I have prayed for you. Are you going to, I have prayed for you. It's not, I'm not coming to pray for you. I have prayed for you. What God showed me about you, I have dealt with it already. That your faith will not fail. Now, if you tell somebody that I've seen your coffin, I've seen your tombstone, but you know something, I have prayed for you, and the Lord said, it is well. Would the person not live more happy and fulfilled? Yes. But if you just say, I have seen, I have seen. Bring me that special offering, we'll do I have seen. People become afraid. I know certain members of my own assembly who are afraid to go to certain prophetic meetings because it was getting too scared. Now, this is not to say that the enemy is not real. This is not to pretend that these things don't happen. I'm saying that there's a certain maturity. Uh, there's a skill. There's a way you go about things. Sometimes you are praying for something, you pick up. How you will pray, you will deal with the thing without a person knowing that you are dealing with something. Yes. Yes. So, this person did pray some kind of. Like James would say, Jibiti, Jibiti, prayers. <laughs> but you have to use wisdom yeah. and skill. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Listen. If you must get to a wealthy place, be skillful in the gift you have. Whether it is spiritual gift, whether it is natural talent, whether it is ability, whatever gift you have, polish it. If you're a shoe shiner, be the best shoe shiner in town and it will bring you to a wealthy place. When you become skillful, coming to a wealthy place is not just spiritual only. Be skillful, dedicate time, Polish your gift, spiritual or natural, and God will bring you to a wealthy place. Oh, give the Lord a shout in the house. Be skillful. May God give you skill. May he polish, may he give you the ability to excel in whatever you do. Say an amen. Number two manifestation, the Bible said he was a mighty man of valor. Say mighty man of valor. Is it up on the wall? He was a mighty man of valor. What is valor? Valor is courage in difficult times. Hey, success is not for the faith hunted. You need courage. That is why when Joshua was going into the land, the Bible says, be of what? Good courage. You have to be a valiant man. You have to have courage. If you are the kind of person, every small thing you break down, every small thing you are discouraged, every small thing I'm giving up on God, you will never get to a wealthy place. Yes. It's not going to happen. It takes courage. It says that I will stand in the lentil fields and fight with the jawbone of an ass if I have to. But I'm not giving up one inch to the enemy. You have to become courageous. You must have spiritual boldness that is seated in faith in God's promises to your life. You must be bold about the word of God. You must be bold about your God. And bold about your walk. Have courage. Have courage. Tell the enemy. Though you knock me down. You can't knock me out. I 
scent of water and coming up again. Are you here? You need courage. One of the frustrating things about the house of God is that we don't have people of courage. People don't want to face crisis in life and look the devil eyeball to everything. Listen, God has given me the spirit of fear. <laughs> no. A lot of messages I get people is just panic. One dream you had. Dream. Dream. It's not even a dream. And they are all panicked. Calm down. Calm down. Let your confidence be in the, the grace of God. Because when you are in fear, the enemy has an, a hold over you. And if you're going to get to a wealthy place, it means you have to walk in a risky faith. You have to do some daring things that doesn't make sense. Because God told you to do it. Because pastor says we are going this way. It doesn't make sense. But he has heard from God. And you must have the courage to say, Pastor, we are backing you up. Are you hear what I'm saying? There's a certain courage you need. May God give it the anointing of valor today. That every spirit of fear will be broken off you. That God will deliver you from the spirit of fear. And you have courage in the face of adversity. Somebody give the Lord a clap in the house. Because of time. Number three, he was a man of war. If you are going to come into a wealthy place, learn not to leave the prayer meeting to just a handful of people. Become a person of war. Come to the prayer meeting. Learn how to fight. Learn how to war. Learn how to stand your ground. Understand the rules of engagement. Cultivate the principles of warfare so you yourself do not become a casualty of war. Learn how to fight and war successfully. David was a warrior, but he consulted God. Should I go? Should I pursue? You say yes, do it. Do it. You overtake, become all. David was very, and when he won that, he thought he had arrived. The next move, he was right to God said, No, wait. There's a different strategy for this. Yeah. This time around, wait till you see a movement in the mulberry trees. You see, you, you have to learn how to become a mighty warrior. Amen. Amen. Put on might. Learn how to fight. Come to prayer meeting. When we are praying, pray. Get yourself. One of the best ways to be effective in prayer, if not, not one of the best ways, the best way to be effective in prayer is your knowledge of God's word. The knowledge of God's word. When you have the word of God in you, you can pray like a machine. If you're going to speak tongues, let it be authentic tongues. Get the real deal. And the real deal comes when you are not the Holy Ghost. And you know, let the spirit, but don't try to fool everybody by noise. You see, in charismatics, we have equated noise with prayer. If our voice is not enough, let's add the drums. If the drums is not let's put keyboard to it. As long as there is noise. And sometimes you are worried, but you are not worried about effective warfare. Because you haven't trained yourself to become a mighty man of war. Take God's word. Add it to the spirit. You bring the Holy Ghost and some words dropping you. Amen. They begin to pray those words. They begin to pray along those words. And you begin to release. And you see, the sad thing we don't understand, the devil doesn't understand tongues. Yes. You know that? Yes. Satan doesn't understand tongues. The Bible says when we speak in tongues, it is a mystery language between us and God. So why do you think you can defeat the devil by speaking tongues? 
but you pray in tongues to access the mind of God then when God puts a word in you you speak that word against the enemy with boldness and that breaks the enemy it is a rima so once you are praying this way, the Bible says building up yourself in your most holy faith. You are charging. You are connecting with the Holy Ghost. All of a sudden, words begin to come to you. All of a sudden, you are speaking God's word. Even the scriptures are memorized. But now that you are speaking the word, you said the word is not flat. There's some spirit upon the word. The word is living. The word is activated. It has become weaponized. It is coming against the enemy. And your words are not void. It's dismantling your walls of Jericho. So the person who is always praying in tongues but doesn't release the word of God they are not being effective in warfare. Amen? Yeah. The Bible said there is a two-edged sword in our mouth. The Bible talks about the word of God which is the sword of the spirit. So if you want to deal with things in the city, pray in the Holy Ghost. But pray yourself into a realm. Pray till a certain grace comes upon you. Where your tongue has now become anointed. The, the Bible says, touch my lips with coals from the altars of heaven. When you pray in the spirit, your tongue is like on fire. You are alive now. Your spirit is charged. Now when the word comes out of you, it is potent. It is alive. You feel the force of God's word coming out of you. But you got to be a mighty man of war. You got to have courage and you got to know how to fight. And I'm trying to say that if you must come to a wealthy place, stop fooling yourself and everybody by hiding under noise. Be real. Because listen to me. Don't think you'll get into the boxing ring with the enemy. Throw the first punch and say, I was joking. You are kidding. I didn't mean it. You are joking. The moment you step into church and Pastor picked up the microphone, and listen to the prayer topic. And say, lift up your hand. And instead of making declaration, I this, I this, I this. You are throwing the first punch. After that, you better make sure that the follow-up is a knockout. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You can't just hide and noise. You don't know how to fight. You don't know how to walk. Tonight, may them come, may the spirit of the Lord anoint you with the spirit of a warrior. Number four, very quickly. The Bible says he was prudent in speech. One speech, one speech, how you talk, what you say, can either bring you to your wealthy place or eject you from your wealthy place. Words are powerful. Let your words be dead. Don't come and fight courageously in church. Do an effective warfare only for you to use your own mouth and your own speech to undo everything you want in the spirit. Amen. You must be prudent in speed. That's why I said, let your words be seasoned with salt. Be prudent in speed. Be careful what you say. Don't speak negativity. Don't destroy the very things that they are trying to build up in the church. Are you hear what I'm saying? If a, if a dream, or rather if a vision is cast, whether you believe it or not, that is the vision God has put in the house. And it will bring you to a wealthy place. But if you are not prudent, what you say can affect or delay or hinder the manifestation of that vision over the house of God. The next point, the Bible says he was a handsome person. The word handsome there is not outward handsomeness or beauty. The Bible says God does not look upon the outward of a man, 
but he looks to the heart. If you are going to come to a God-given wealthy place, your spirit must be beautiful. Have a good heart. Have a pure motive. Amen? Pure motive. A good, clean heart before God. Let your heart be pure. Are you with me? Whatever you are doing, be real. Let your yea be yea. Let your nay be nay. Be a credible person with integrity. Hmm. Lack of integrity. Bond this is not capable of evil. This one, no devil issue. Forgive yourself. The motive. The offense you are holding against that sister, you never want to forgive. How are you going to come to a wealthy place? God wants to look upon you and see a handsomeness. That is how watch this. God didn't just look to the outward act of David, which is adultery and premeditated murder. But he looks at the beauty of his heart, that his heart was a heart after God's own heart. Of course, this is not to excuse wrong. I'm just trying to say that one of the manifestations is a handsome person. When you come around, people feel the beauty of your spirit. Amen. You know, there are some people who come around and they have negative energy. Yes. Eh? They don't have to say anything. Yeah. Just coming around. Ah. Yes. Their spirit is heavy. Yes. They, they, just, they, just, they just bring you down. Are you hear what I'm saying? Yes. When you hang with people like that, you will not get to wealthy people. Mm. Amen? Amen? Help them. Bring them out of it. Let us come to a place where our spirit is handsome. Wherever we go, our motive. We are an encouraging people. We are cheerful people. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Our motive is pure and clean. Whatever we are doing, there's no secret agenda. The only thing we'll do secretly and in stealth is what we are doing some calculated moves against the enemy. So he doesn't know what we are doing. But when we deal with each other as brethren in the house of God, let's be pure. No hidden agendas. Let's be authentic Christians. Let's do what is right for the glory of God. Put your hands together for the Lord. Two more manifestations that we're going to prayer. The Bible then says, and the Lord was with him. Whatever you must do, for there to be as people to know that God is with you. You see, in the case of David, it was his revelation. It was the things that he did. People must know that God is with this man. Even Laban had to acknowledge, Jacob, I've swindled you back. I know, I know God is with you. I know. See, until people know that God is with you, there are certain doors they won't open. Are you hear what I'm saying? And how do people know God is with you? It's the authenticity. Of your Christian life. Yes. It's a manifestation of God's grace upon your life. Yes. So that gift, that spiritual gift that is in you, all those things, it helps affirm the fact that God is with you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The Bible says how Jesus went about doing what? Good. Because what? God was what? With him. When you go about doing good, it is a sign that God is with you. You see the goodness of your life. The goodness of your life. Are you hearing what I'm saying? May God cause that grace to come upon you. Amen. And finally, he said that he had favor with God. He said, send him to me. He has found favor with me, the king, 
and favor with God. May the favor of God come upon your life tonight in Jesus' name. Put your hands together. Give the Lord a clap in the house today. Pastor, can you come up, please? Pastor, can I buy into a few more minutes? A few more minutes. I won't take too much time. Pastor, come. Everybody stand on your feet. Have you been blessed tonight? Yeah. I've equipped you with things that I pray you will go, you will buy. Is it a CD or DVD? CD. Listen to it over and over again until these truths begin to become real to you. And make up your mind that 2018 conference, something changed in my life. When we were growing in the faith, and we used to go to conferences like back in the day was the Morris Rellos and the uh, the Copelands and all that crew. One whole week from 7 a.m. we'll leave. The first session will be about 9 o'clock. It close at 11 p.m. We'll get home very late. One whole week. Different sessions. Two in the morning, two in the afternoon, and the mega one day. And we sat through all. Today, we are where we are. Because we invite. Are you hearing what We received it. We received it. We received the information. We were our eyes were opening to how the kingdom operates and the principles of the kingdom. And as we walked in these things, God has also raised us up to be a blessing to us. Take everything, not just breaking out conference 2018. Go as far back. I was talking to uh, my brother from Scotland here. I said he has the themes of all the breakout conferences. He has all the themes. I say, wow, send it to me. Let me even remind myself of some of the things we have spoken about. Are you hear what I'm saying? May God do something awesome in your life. May this meet. By the time you finish on Sunday, may your spirit be so full, so loaded. May you have weight in the spirit that you know that God has prepared you to bring you to a truly wealthy place. Amen. Can we minister to the Lord for a moment and then we can just anoint them in the house? Holiness, holiness is what I long for. Holiness is what I need. Lift up your hands. Just worship. Just, just get into the presence. Just tune into God. Holiness. It's what you want from me.